Welcome back to our ongoing conversation on what makes a coven work and how covens are still relevant to the craft in the 21st century. Happy New Year for those of you that follow the belief that Samhain is the ending of the Wiccan year, as we do. To begin, let's identify our participants in this podcast, and please mention your role in Circle Encore. I'm Catherine, the High Priestess. I'm Raven, and I'm the High Priest of Circle Encore. I'm Eric. I'm a priest in Circle Encore. I'm Starburst. I'm a student. I'm Tag. I'm a priest of Circle Encore. I'm Tanaya, and I'm a priestess with Circle Encore. Ordinarily, this would be where we'd put in the segment titled, Excuse Me, What Did You Just Say?, which is designed to answer questions we receive from you, the audience, about phrases that we might say that are unclear. We welcome that kind of feedback. We didn't get any this time, so we're going to proceed apace. In our previous podcast, we discussed the importance of shields and wards to practitioners, the importance of having an energetic space to relax, to do magical work without disruption, and to rest and restore yourself. We spoke briefly about the terms empath, telepath, and telempath as words to describe the type of sensitivities to energy you might have. We also discussed how both wards and shields can be prepared for others as a rite of service. This is not unique to Wicca. We talked about several different cultural protections, such as the uh, Middle Eastern Hand of Fatima used for protection, or the Cobalt Blue against the Evil Eye pendants, mezuzahs on the lintel of a door in Judaism, a cross placed on the wall, or even an iron horseshoe over the door. We thought we'd speak more about the idea of rites of service as part of being a priest or priestess or elder in the Wiccan community, because that means serving others, not just necessarily yourself or your own people. So when we think of rites of service, what comes to mind? And can you each give a brief description of the particular rite of service you're thinking of and what it does for the people in the ritual? So to begin with, one of the things that we do at every high holiday and moon is we ask if anyone needs any extra healing energy or if there's anyone that we know of that's in need. So we will know to give energy to those people that are in need, which I think is a great way of helping others that we may or may not even know. There are Two other examples that I can give that most recently of rights of service. One, my current building that I work at is being sort of reconstructed. They're adding a, an additional parking structure, and they're also adding a brand new building, adding it on to our current building that we have. Currently, we're having to park probably about three blocks away from our building where we work. And a lot of the times I'm getting there and it's still dark outside, especially now that we've had the time change. So what I've done is I've warded the walkways in from the parking structure to our building to make sure that everyone's safe, especially those women that walk alone. I want to make sure that they can walk in safety. The other thing that we did is with the new building, they just completed what's called the topping off ceremony. It's when the last structural beam is put into place on a building. So they allowed us employees to go out and sign that beam before it gets placed in the new building structure. So 
not only signed it, but I created wards within that final beam and it would ward the new building. But those are my examples. You're so clever. One of the things that I do when I'm in a workplace is I try to surround at least my station with a warding or use a protective stone such as hematite, which absorbs negativity. I'm always on the lookout for things that are off. I just discovered a building that was built on an old hospice placement and it, the, the vibes are really weird. So we're going to be probably doing something about that. Other than that, just Raven said, basically protection for, for people that are close to us and who are in the same area as us. And while I'm a student of Encore, I'm a priestess in my own right of a cousin tradition. I have a couple of times done a ritual of cord cutting specific for people who have been married and are getting divorced. And what we did was we took different colors of embroidery thread and made sure they kept the memories they wanted to keep and only severed the ones of the specific relationship. So they dissolved the marriage, but not the good memories and the good encounters they had with this individual. That's really beautiful and also really practical. It seems to have worked very well for the couples involved. That's the main thing I'm thinking of right now. I think one that jumps to my mind is hand fastings or weddings. I've I've done several of them. I've done uh, I've done a Wiccan a religious only hand fasting. I've done a re a Wiccan hand fasting that was legally binding, and I've done a couple of other wedding ceremonies. And there was one time I actually wouldn't do the hand fasting. I did a commitment ceremony for one couple who. I could tell things were not going to go well, and I knew both of them, and then they had just started seeing each other, and so I told them that after a year and a day, if they still wanted to be hand-fasted, they could come back to me, but that as a service to them, all I could do was a commitment for them right there. Some of the other acts of service I do are, I, I, are sort of random. I'll pick up trash sometimes if I'm hiking. I, I try to be a steward of nature. I've tried to really tried to work on expanding some of those things since I've moved up to Oregon. I've got an electric car. I'm not super duper crunchy, but I feel that part of the service I can do is is to the planet. I also try, I, I will randomly bless people in circumstances homeless people, people sitting by the side of the road, I will send them energy and hope for uh, for comfort or shelter or food. Little things like that. That's that's pretty much most of the, the acts of service I do. Now, that I, I work with children and so, uh, and my own children I have uh, put wards and protections on. I, I don't feel it would be ethically appropriate for me to do that with the children at work, so I don't, but I think happy thoughts for them. I have a neat story that I just I remember remembered. For a couple of years, I did uh, Heller work, which is a form of body alignment related to rolfing. And I was a little short on cash, and I had talked with my massage therapist about my, you know, my being an astrologer. And she said, "Oh, that's cool. You know, I met. Can you do a compatibility?" And I said, sure. She said, I just met this guy and I'm really crazy about him. And I want to see how compatible we are. So I do the compatibility chart, you know, on my little computer, I punch in the numbers. And I said, these people need to be married. They're just, it's, it's just incredible that the, all the affinities that are going on here. So I go back to her and I said, I have something to tell you. She said, no, I have something to tell you. She said, Thomas, her boyfriend proposed to her and I said I took gave her a reading of the the chart and she said that's so funny and I said you're going to have a son well 
she said, I, I can't have children because I had anorexia when I was number and they told me what younger and they told me I would never have a child. And I said, no, you're, you're going to have a child. And it's been 20 something years. They've been married now. And she has a son and a daughter as well as the uh, son of her husband when they married. So I am called upon as an astrologer to sometimes to do stuff like that. And I try to be as affirmative as possible, but that was a wonderful kind of affirmation of being of service, I think, because she still messages me on Facebook and they're doing really well. And now they're expecting grandchildren and it's, you know, it, it's really cool when, when things like that happen, it makes you feel good, you know, that you're actually helping people. Well, you know, I don't think you've ever told us that story before. And that's, that's really awesome because we don't always get to see the long-term ramifications of an act of service. So when you do, it's kind of like, you know, getting present from the powers that be. First off, Raven, as a female who has grabbed my keys out of my purse because I'm freaked out walking across a parking lot or on a particular city block, thank you so much for cleaning up your little portion of the neighborhood. <laughs> so <laughs> I loved that. So let's see, two things that come to mind uh, that I do in my everyday life the first one is I am a godparent to an amazing tween and especially in this day and age, what kid couldn't benefit from an extra blessing or protection or support system in this life. So I've committed to him and then the, and I, I don't mean to sound like hearted about that. I, in the gifts sent to him that he realizes and doesn't like not a birthday or holiday goes by without him getting a book so i know he will always remember me for <laughs> creating his library but also other things just for him i always want him to feel protected and then the other thing that i would put out is i love hiking and i love seeing an area throughout the year and kind of like how the landscape evolves and changes. And I know it's silly, it's just seasons, but I love it. So, but especially between the seasons, a lot of the hiking trails that I take can become a little bit confusing or muckety. So if there's any discrepancy, there's especially one hiking trail I love that they're doing a ton of construction. So it's confusing now. So I put out little directionals on, on places that like they have a ton of trails open now that don't go anywhere. You have to like just go down and back and there's no signage. So I've been trying to help give better directionals to the, the hiking paths that actually lead somewhere. But especially if I'm out and about and the hiking, the trail is confusing. I'm like, do you scramble up these rocks or do you like, where is the next sign postage? How do I stick to it? And I always take a screenshot of of what the the trail is or the train the terrain is before I go out. So yeah, I just I kind of try to help other hikers as well. And I agree, if I think of it, I really try to keep a bag in the car. So if the area needs picking up or cleaning up, then it's a little bit of that action of leaving it better than we found it. So yay, Tag, you and I are cleaning up the world. I don't think you guys are alone in that. <laughs> So when people think of rites of service, they normally think of things like hand fastings or wickenings, which is the welcoming of a child to the pagan community, or requiems when we say goodbye to those we have loved to have passed beyond the veil. And those are probably the best known, but rites of service, as you guys mentioned, don't have to be big or even involve another person. You guys talked about one small rite of service picking up trash, you know, supporting the environment, nature, one another. Once you've been priested, you're invested with the power to bless. And blessing for us is not just an idle phrase. It is a magical act. In most Wiccan rites, there's a portion of the ritual where you take 
food and drink and share it, which we've nicknamed wine and cakes, although more often than not, there's no wine or cake actually involved. The priest or priestess in charge of this particular ritual blesses the food and the drink, and it's shared from person to person with the blessing phrase, may you never hunger, may you never thirst. The response used most often to that is either and you or there will always be enough but only if we share. Do you hear the power in that blessing and its response? Good food and clean drink have been one of the primary needs of humanity just in terms of survival since our primordial history so calling a blessing upon those riches is certainly sensible. In the blessing response there's an implied prayer that there will always be enough and a tacit understanding that unless we pool our resources as a group, as a society, as a planet, there will not be enough. There will be deprivation and need somewhere. And this is one of those times when I earnestly wish that we could get the world to listen to that. Included in the blessing phrase for food and drink are often additional blessings such as, may you never hunger for good company, may you never thirst for knowledge. When a Wiccan says bless you, it's not just a social nicety, it is an actual benediction given with intent and with reverence. The power of the God and Goddess flows through us in the act of bestowing a blessing, which is something one feels. It's an act of love and support and should never be taken lightly. One of the phrases often used in Wiccan ceremonies is blessed be. And this too is an important use of the benediction of blessing, calling our blessings towards an elemental force or the divine. Duh, I'll be honest, I've scolded any number of students over the years for using the phrase without deep intent or for trying to do cute shorthand like beep beep. Yes, I will smack you down for that, I, I, at least verbally. If you don't mean a blessing, and allow the divine to flow through you and grant that blessing because the power comes from them, not you, then you shouldn't use the words. One small type of blessing, rite of service that a lot of us are very fond of is then we go into a store or a vet office to pick up supplies and they're doing some sort of animal adoption event. I'll always make it a point to go over to the animals and extend a blessing to each of them thinking, may you find the perfect human for your nature and your need. Animals deserve blessings too. Even in some Christian traditions, they will do an annual blessing of the beasts, usually in the, in the autumn or winter, where the priest will bless the congregation's pets or livestock. It's a lot more common than you would think. So can you give another example of a particular small rite of service or blessing that you do on a regular basis? And if so, can you briefly describe it? One of the things that I wanted to touch on, which at the time I thought was a little strange because it was my dad asking me to, to help him out, is he wanted to do a weekend hand fasting, but did not know where to start. So I actually ended up writing that ritual for my dad, and then he performed it, which I thought was very cool. And he thanked me profusely for writing that hand-fisting ritual for him. One of the other rites of service that I just recently did is, as I expressed within the group, that my dear friend April, she just lost her dog, Bella. And my dog and her dog, they grew up together. They basically knew each other since my dog was eight weeks old and her dog was 12 weeks old. So they were right within the same age range. And Bella just passed away this last Monday. So I did light a candle for Bella in that, you know, she gets over the rainbow bridge and, you know, she finds peace and happiness. So that's one of the small rites of service that I just did recently. One of the things that I do 
is that I will do protection for someone's car if I'm if someone else is driving so that no harm comes to it in a parking lot or like like Ravens said you know if somebody loses a pet somebody a friend of mine I will I will definitely light a candle and I feel I also feel so terrible when I see animals in for adoption and it's been really helpful for me to kind of do a blessing and it's like may you find a human home because i just want to take them all home you know to take care of them but just little things like that it's 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 so automatic at this point i can i can't really think of any other specific instances so that's uh, that's about it well, I think you bring up a very important point, Eric, that for us, because this is such a big, important part of our lives, it's kind of seamless. We don't necessarily think about it. We are moved to give a blessing or a small rite of service, and we just kind of do it. But for someone who might be just beginning, it's kind of good to, you know, give descriptions. Something my grandmother used to say to me, she said, you should do something nice for somebody at least once a day without telling anybody about it just so that the divine knows or that you are doing something good so that's sort of stayed with me over the years and I, I try to, to follow her example even if it's just holding a door for somebody or you know helping somebody with a wheelchair get through a entrance or up a, up a ramp at the pharmacy you know just little things like that it just makes the world a, be a much better place because it, it tends to spread. Yeah, I also practice the random acts of kindness philosophy. I think in terms of more specific rights of service, I'm occasionally, you know, I love rock stores. And sometimes I find myself cleansing little areas as I go through so that people pick up nice, clean things. And I'm inclined to bless stacks of fine Ouija boards in a store somewhere. Then I will put a blessing on them that they don't take anyone anywhere they shouldn't be. But mostly little things like that, blessing the animals. If I see one that's had an unfortunate encounter with a car, I give a, a blessing to send them on. I do that too. And I think it's it's beautiful because, you know, an animal who's been a victim of a hit and run might not even be able to identify, oh, I'm dead. So right. kind of encouraging it off to the place that's perfect for its needs and desires. I mean, that's, that's just a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also in the, uh, the random acts of kindness school of things. I got a really big deja vu when you were talking, Eric. It was like, whoa told me this story before, it just, it, it was really cool. And I, I feel that one of the things that I can do on a daily basis, this is definitely a post-therapy thing. What you put out in the world comes back. So I, I really try to put, as corny as it might sound, I try to put as much love and kindness and empathy as I can out there because they're, seems to be shocking levels of it in the world so i try to shovel as much as i can around me and hope it gets spread around uh, i would say that's that's really the most consistent thing i think i do is try and spread positivity in in the form of you know kindness love mercy all of these qualities that i would hope to receive from the universe i try to give out through the universe you guys my answer is so similar it's like we're part of the same coven or something away <laughs> okay so eric kind of along, along your plans of like trying to do something nice every day so sometimes i'm just not feeling it to be honest so my version is to at least learn something new every day and how that has evolved, especially in the last year, is it has evolved to 
learn something new that's not in your computer's algorithm every day. So <laughs> try that one, maybe, I don't know. And then kind of along your world plan there, Tag, I do this thing like, I mean, didn't everyone when we were kids, like you just kind of throw rocks in a pond or a lake or a puddle and you just watch the ripples. So you just, <laughs> I just kind of throw like, here you go, Catherine. I throw Reiki bombs. I, <laughs> I, I try and make a little ball of goodness and just kind of throw my rock in the pond and hope that if there's someone who's really having a craptastic day or is hurting or lost or, you know, just kind of needs a little rainbow, then it's available for, for someone in need. So <laughs> I guess those would be my two little, little things to bounce off of you guys. And then the other thing that I have is I've been a foster parent to a number of neonatal kittens. So along the idea of giving that animal that blessing, kind of watching who they become as they go from like wobbly little toddlers into things with their own ferocious little personalities and in and kind of making that blessing specific to the critter so making sure that they get the home most appropriate to them that they they have a lifetime where they feel loved and supported and all of their health and emotional needs met so so that's my rock I am throwing in the ocean of life. How's that? <laughs> well, it just tells me that you are, all of you, in fact, living the life the Lord and the Lady want you to. So for me, one of the rites of service I get called on to do a lot is to scry, to divine the future for someone. And divination can serve a lot of, of purposes. It can help bring clarity when people are confused or distressed. It can help people think about things they might not have previously considered. In our advanced training class, there's one entire module uh, that's all about learning how to scry. For me, I'll often use tarot cards because it's what my grandmother taught me to do when I was a child. Uh, the very act of pulling the deck out, shuffling the cards, and laying them out is meditative. Or as my grandmother said, it allows you to get the front of your brain out of the way to get to the place in your head where the answers live. We each have our own favorite methods of scrying based on our own talents and inclinations. What is your favorite type of divination and why? Are there any limitations or safeties you would put in place if you were scrying for someone other than yourself or a fellow covenant? Well, I would like to touch on with our class for, for scrying. We basically touch on everything. The old joke is, can you scry in a hole? Can you scry in a bowl? <laughs> Which we do cover a lot of the different types of divination techniques in our one-on-one -on -one class. For me, I think one of my most favorite is I use tarot a lot. That is one of my favorite scrying methods just because the cards and the symbolism that you could find in the cards tell a very detailed story. And I don't get that a lot from any other type of divination. So that's, why I go to the Tarot more often than not. For safeties, I would definitely cleanse the cards before and after use. And while the person that I'm scrying for may have a very specific question in mind that they want answered, it may not be the answer that they're going to get. It's going to be the answer that they need to hear at that moment. Uh, other than that, I think that's it for me. Well, mine is easy. I've, I've done astrology since I was about 12 years old. My mother was uh, dab dabbled in metaphysics as a, as a hippie chick, and she used to order books from Dover Books. And one, and if you order so many, you get a freebie, which and they sent her an astrology book, which involved a lot of 
mathematics and numbers and she was basically very confused and handed it to me and she said here this looks like something you could do so this was back in the day before computers i actually drew up charts from scratch the thing what what happens when uh, i get all the information i'll i'll print out a chart and then whoever or whatever it is starts to talk and it just becomes it's automatic and i tell people i say you know if you want to remember this take notes or uh, record it because i won't remember what was said and it's amazing the things that uh, that have come out i, I my therapist was fascinated by astrology is a part of like a Jungian kind of, because Carl Jung, the famous psychoanalyst, used astrology as part of his practice. So I did a reading for her one day, and she asked me a question about a business venture her and her husband were going to do with another couple. And whatever came through said, no, absolutely not. That Do not do this. And she was like taken back, like, whoa, okay. And she told me this later. And it turns out her husband passed away in a motorcycle accident a month later. And I didn't foresee that, but I said that things are going to be too much of an upheaval to make any kind of commitment to something like that. And that's the that's the downside of 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 seeing my guide or whoever it is does who does my astrology readings is very outspoken and that's been a problem for me because a lot of people want you know you know when am i going to meet that man of my dreams when am i going to win the lottery you know should i make a career change blah, blah 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 and a lot of times that's not what the message is that is that's coming through and they don't want to hear it and i've been working on that for a while now is is uh is trying to give people what they want versus what they need then that's a difficult line sometimes i i i had did a reading for a guy who was a book he kept meeting women in bars and kept wondering why they are all turned out to be psychos and i resemble that remark by the way but that's another story he was his chart was all over the place for creative and music he said well yeah i play the guitar sometimes at a you know at a club and he said i said well you should explore that because you will attract people who are interested in your interest interests line if you follow that but he didn't want to hear it and sometimes that's difficult you just got to like push the chart away and i said well i've i've given you everything i can thank you and move on that is one of the difficulties in doing divination for someone else because, yes, sometimes they want a specific answer and the universe is saying something entirely different. And learning how to do that with some courtesy, with some empathy, you know, that's that's part of it. But it can be tricky when you have to give an answer that people don't like. I remember very vividly one of our high holidays where Gillian, our oracle, was doing scrying for everyone, and she felt like she was really giving them the good info. And when she kind of came back to herself, she couldn't figure out why people were pissed off. And it was because she was telling them truths that perhaps they weren't ready to hear. And that can happen. So learning to do it in a way that is supportive, yet speaking truth, that's tricky. And it takes guts to go to a reader, kind of grit your teeth and go, tell me what it is I need to know. Ah. <laughs> but I think that's the best thing you get out of it. Divination is not something I do easily. I've studied astrology. I've tried to study the Tarot, but the whole act of memorizing all these layouts and things, my brain is not suited to that. So what I, what I mostly do is a three card draw and i might use oracle cards or tarot cards either one and for like body mind and spirit with the idea that it's what is the person or what do i need to know for this 
this next moon cycle, this next eclipse cycle, or some period of time. On a personal level, if I'm doing a divination, I often work with a pendulum. I find that is something that does work well for me, but you're also playing 20 questions with it. I have found that pendulums, I've got some that do certain types of questions and some that prefer to do other types of questions, which sounds strange, but seems to work that way for me. That's so interesting because when I use a pendulum, it's usually to figure out something geographically as opposed to the answers. So, you know, there's no one way, but that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, they'll do yes, no, I can't answer that. I, I've seen charts that you can work with a pendulum. I haven't usually done those. Some people have a an alphabetical chart and they'll actually, it'll swing to different letters and spell things out. I find that too cumbersome. So that, that's not my personal method with it, but a little pendulum of just, you know, in some ways it's, it's you know, your, your grandma said, get it, get your mind out of the way. And that's what I think the pendulum does is it, because sometimes it gives me answers I don't want to hear. So I know it's not just me moving the pendulum to say, yes, go, go by the TV. <laughs> no. So it's, it's an interesting, technique. And and what kind of safeties or cautions do you put in when you're doing scrying for someone else? Well, whenever I work with a pendulum in particular, the first thing I do is I ask it if it's willing to answer this question. Sometimes the answer is no. And then you put it aside. So I, I cleanse, just like you do with cards, you know, you shuffle the cards, you cleanse the pendulum, you cleanse your cards make sure that you know we were answering from the light or whatever wording you want to use. I had a strange thing happen one time when I used to be a volunteer at a, a service organization here and a coworker who kind of had like a dodgy background asked me to draw up a chart for him. And I looked at the chart and I got nothing. I mean, nothing. And I'm thinking, I don't need to do this reading. And I told him, oh, well, yeah, I don't really don't have time. And I really ch usually just charge for this. And he said, ah, I don't have any money, so that's okay, that's cool. But that's happened to me a couple times where I've just gotten like, no, I can't wow. answer this. Yeah. I wonder if he gave you fake information. Knowing this person, that was the message that I got. Yeah. This, this <laughs> isn't the, this isn't the person who this is. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And I later found out that through a friend of mine who was on my bicycle team, that he went out with this guy and he lied about his HIV status. Yeah. And he was, he was a client of our, our organization and when he went out with this friend of mine at the bike club, he he, he lied versatilely about everything. Because I, I had his file, I knew his background was, I knew what what was going on with him, and yet he totally lied about it. So after that, it made sense. Yeah. Well, being the steward of of hidden truths like that, personal information about an individual is kind of part of the priesting path. It is sometimes very difficult. It can lead to a conflict. You know, do I warn somebody because I happen to know this protected health information or do I keep silence and respect the privacy of the individual? Occasionally when you're learning something in divination, you can learn stuff about an individual that you, you have to be the steward of their inner truth. So yeah, divination is not a party game. So I'm not big at divination, at least in that I haven't done it for quite a while, but I did tarot for many, many years, much like Catherine. My great-grandmother had a deck mysteriously lying around and told me I could have it. And that was, I was like nine. And so I learned, I always used the book. I 
could have memorized things. I always used the book. I think for me, it actually helped because somewhere in the word soup that they would provide you sometimes of the card meanings, themes or, or things would jump out. So for me, the, the tarot, not just the picture on the card, but there would be a word picture. And so often that really allowed me to let go and just describe the picture I would see, I, I guess is the best way I might describe it. Probably from my later teenage years on until the last time I scried, which was maybe last century, I, I got a, a very, very good track record, which is in fact why I don't tend to scry. Other people have sort of touched on that. Sometimes I don't want to know what's going to happen. That was really what it came down to, at least for myself. I don't think I want to know. For others, we've had this recurrent theme. Sometimes people don't like it when you tell them what they need to hear as compared to what they want you to say. I think there's that Fleetwood Mac song, the line, uh, don't ask me what I think of you. I might not give the answer that you want me to. I think that sometimes things like the cards, the runes, any divination, yeah, go and ask the Oracle. You might not like what the Oracle has to say though, which is why my decision was just when people had asked her, oh, you have tarot cards? Could you do a reading? I just say, no, I don't, I don't do those. If I really, really, if there was something that I felt I absolutely had to know, I have every faith I could go to my deck and that it would still tell me true. But I think knowing, knowing what's to come isn't for everybody. And it doesn't really seem to be what's for me, even though I, when I was younger, I would have totally told you that I had to know everything. But now, now, now there need to be some surprises. I've done another form of divination before. I, I can only describe it as sitting there and then writing down whatever comes to mind, like a sentence, a you hear a quote or something, and then writing it down and then figuring out what the heck and who that's for. I did that one time and that was my that was my holiday gifts for some friends once. I uh I handed them these calligraphed things that were apparently were for them and they were meaningful and each one found the person it was meant for. I, I really have not done that, but maybe one other time just sat there and opened myself up. That's, that's just, I guess, not, not how I am. I don't like to be open in that way. So the, I guess, yeah, the, the limitations or safeties are, I, I personally just don't do it. But if I were going to do it for somebody else, I'd want to have clean and safe tools in a clean and safe space. Purify my room, purify my tools and myself. And that's how I would do that. And just to clarify for those who are listening, one of the traditions for Circle Encore is that divination as a rite of service is a gift. And we don't ask for money and that's not to you know naysay people who do do that there has to be some sort of medium of exchange of energy and money is a symbol for energy but we do not charge money for this particular gift my favorite mode of divination would have to be tarot i love the symbology of it I enjoy working with it. I have a favorite deck, a second favorite deck. Uh, what are you in the mood for deck? I, I really enjoy the artistic side of this uh, method. So, however, oh, and my favorite would have to be the 10 card draw. I think I would do that one probably the most often. However, here is, here's my problem with divination in general is, I have come to accept over the years that perhaps a core of my personality is that I can be a smart aleck and that totally comes through in divination, especially tarot. So I, I often feel like if I ask a question or two, I get smart alecky answers 
and they seem to be things that <laughs> like the world is kicking me in the butt saying come on you know better or come on you should know this so that's my love slash infuriating relationship with divination it's like 90 percent love it 10 percent yeah thanks smart alecky ma and pa i <laughs> i appreciate your message so i'm sure i'm not the only one that has that otherwise i i agree with eric when he said that giving someone what they need not what they want it's kind of like like trying to learn how to be tactful like telling someone to go to hell and have them leave with a smile on their face is is kind of that's why i don't i don't like doing it for other people like maybe a friend or or a spouse or something but otherwise it's all for me and i and typically i appreciate the smart alecky message i think it's hilarious i always get a giggle out of my divinations and i've done a 10 card draw within the last month i've i've just got a lot of life upheaval so i figured the other day i thought this this should be fun <laughs> let's see let's see what the cards say about life's current situations and yeah made me giggle and spot on terry i just wanted to jump in before catherine could get in and say you made me smile when you talked about smart alecky cards because and my cards i swear i got readings that said like we told you before we're not going to answer that and ha ha <laughs> nice try <laughs> and that yeah, made me smile whoever or whatever it is that comes through when i do readings They'll they'll be really like smart alecky like this loser is not going to listen to anything you say. I, I, I'm, I'm like I have the internal dialogue like I can't tell them that I can't say that, and then I try to like re re regroup and readjust and you know I'll I'll pretend like I'm pausing and I'm you know putting my hand over the the chart like I'm feeling the vibe and it's like and all the while I'm having this internal dialogue it's like. I can't say that to them, and that's why what I what I do mainly is I try to do it as a analytical tool rather than a predictive tool. Although the predictive does come through, it's about seventy five percent analysis of the person and twenty five percent prediction. I would say, on the average. Well, luckily, divination is only one form of rites of service, and my boundary, if you want to call it that, my safety is to ask, don't ask the question if you don't want to hear the answer. And I think that that's an important caution because this isn't a party trick. This is asking a universe that's constantly in flow and flux and motion what's going to happen. And sometimes, and you know, physics talks about the whole Schrodinger cat thing, the act of observing the universe might set a chain of actions in motion when all you were trying to do was be cute. And yeah. Now for me, sometimes the line between a magical working and a right of service gets entangled. And an example of that is when I sink my hands into the soil to get a sense of what the earth needs before I plant something. Part of that is a magical working because I have a, an ability to have a sense of the earth as a living being. But part of it too is casting a blessing for the soil so the seeds can flourish and when necessary, adding nutrients to the soil so the soil can be fed and in turn, the plants may feed us. A lot of the things you see in books like the Farmer's Almanac about when to plant, when to harvest, stem from that subliminal knowledge that people who grow crops for a living come to know. As a group, we've done magical workings where we would spread bone and blood meal into the soil of an area that was suffering or had become tainted, working it into the earth to restore necessary balance, both physically and energetically. And could you each maybe talk a little bit about how you use your inherent magical talents to do a rite of service? Well, since I have the healing gift in spades, 
one of the things that I do for our coven is I'm pumping healing energy back into our group because Lord knows we need it. And thank you. <laughs> the other thing I'm doing is one of the things that I do for my dog Phelan is every night he likes to cuddle with me when I go to bed and he's ever since I've had him as a puppy, he knows that he gets some Reiki energy right before his papa falls to sleep. So that's one of the things that I do for him every night. For the empathy side, while I'm at work, if I notice that someone's really stressed out or I can tell that they're having a bad day, I'll ask them if they want to go somewhere and just talk. Not to talk as coworker to coworker, but just person to person. And I let them know that whatever they share with me directly is private and will never go any further than where we're just discussing the issue at. And I think that goes a long way, especially when, based on my work and what other issues that we're dealing with, because we work in healthcare, it's something that I can provide to them just to give them an ear so they can decompress, which I feel is needed sometimes. So that's what I do. Yeah, ever since I've been priesthood and even before that, it's like people would come up to me and and in the workplace or wherever and suddenly divulge their most personal problems to me. And like, it's like, I, I don't really need to know all that, but if you need to tell me that, then that's cool. You know, that happened to me at the place I used to work in the break room. I'd be talking to somebody and all of a sudden it's like a therapy session where they're telling me about the problems with their daughter and da da da, and the living situation and the, the, the other job that they're working and on and on. And so that's, you know, I think being a good listener is kind of part of the, the, the you know, the, the people sense somehow that, that you're uh your energy is such that uh, you can be confided in. One of the things I also found, too, is I, I'm very good at reading situations. In fact, I'm nicknamed the canary for that reason, uh, you know, in, in the coven. One of the things where I used to work was we had very high, very high theft rate. And there was one time when uh, in the during the the peak of the the pandemic, we had these plexiglass barriers around the cash registers and the security guard was chasing after some guy and they were going at it fisticuffs. I mean, they were really heavy duty fighting and they were maybe 50 feet away from me and the the head cashier is a little, a little girl, maybe a slip of a thing, maybe 90 pounds if that soaking wet. And I just got the instinct to just grab her pick her up and run for the center aisle to, to, cause I sensed like danger, Will Robinson, danger, danger, you know, type of thing. So, and you know, that after a while that kind of becomes automatic, like we said before, it, it, you don't really think about it, but you just do it. And that's kind of the way I, you know, on a daily basis, that's what I do. I sense drivers around me or, if I'm in a store, I'm I'm very aware of my surroundings, and I've always seen auras since I was a kid. And I, if there's something wrong, I'll I'll leave. I'll go to another store. I've, I've done that many times. So I think I think that's kind of right of service because I think it's uh, you're protecting people in a way, and you're you're doing a service by being a listener. And because so many people like they aren't they don't feel like they're listened to and i think that's a valuable thing well we do call eric our canary in the coal mine because he has a very intuitive sense of energy and when it comes to that 
people coming up and all of a sudden they're they're saying all this personal information the running joke is you become priested and invis in invisible letters on your forehead come the words disclose to me and i think we've all had that <laughs> bit of that experience yes i was the person people talked to even before i became a priestess but it definitely seems to enhance that magical talents i'm very grounded and I'm known at work as for being very calm. This was a long, hard-fought battle to become that person that is not a natural person that I used to be, but I've become the person who's very calm and doesn't blame people, and people, people come and talk to me. The other thing I do is, we were talking earlier about people who go out and do hiking, and I do that, and I, I volunteer do trail maintenance and trail patrol and things like that and i see that little 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 miniature bit of conservation work i do as a way of giving that grounding energy back to the earth so that's kind of a primary thing for me i think the primary just little act of service is I work in a location with traumatized youth. And so whenever they uh, ask for a hug, I give them a hug and a blessing. And I try to give them the love energy because many of them have had a hard time trusting. So I just try to give them in that moment what I can, what they need to go along with the physical support they've asked for. Other than that, I I have been studiously for years trying to improve myself. I think uh, there, there's the, it's a pretty trite quote, but it's about how, uh, you know, your, your talents are your gift from the gods and what you do with them is your gift to the gods. I've always had people talk to me just like uh, it's it's interesting hearing how it's the fee but i've always had random people talk to me and it seems especially especially now that i'm a priest that some of them might be what they would have said in olden days were touched by the gods what we might now say are schizophrenic or delusional I, i'm not sure why they talk to me i think they can tell that i see them I, I I notice that they're right there and I don't ignore them. Maybe that's why they'll talk to me, but I've had some very interesting conversations with some people. I feel that that's, whenever that happens, I feel it's my duty sort of to keep talking to them because uh, I might be the only time that they are acknowledged as a human being all day. And so, so I've had some very surreal conversations. I mean, also in my line of work, I'm a therapist, so people talk to me. And that is one of the ways I can use my, my talent, but that's not really service. I guess that's work. <laughs> I think the line gets blurry, Tig. Yeah, yeah, especially with, with that work. Okay, this might be silly, but I kind of have a question for you, Tig. So what i did yeah. years ago for my uh my godson was you know how like when you hug a kid you get a real hug like a heart to heart like mm -hmm. like not that little like like shoulder to shoulder kind of meh but so like when i hugged kids i i started doing this thing where i was like energetically popping up an umbrella of protection and love around my kid so <laughs> i don't know would that would that be too far reaching in in, in your protection? Uh, I I'm not sure. That's that's the thing. I don't want to uh, Is that more for family? Yeah, actually, Catherine, I'd love to hear your input. We always have to come from a place of ethics to do no harm, right? For take and I, that's a professional requirement as well as mm -hmm. an ethical requirement. 
I think wishing for blessings, for well-being, for safety, for children, it is the sacred work that any of us who interact with children should do. That's my boundary. And I'm totally fine with, with, I guess, that. I guess for me, it's the thought of if I were to put any any more specific wording, anything beyond a general, you know, bless you, small human, I really hope your parents get their act together, or that, mm -hmm. that you find the family, like people were talking about uh, foster, uh, you know, pets, uh, foster kids, I, the same way, I hope you find a loving family who can help you feel like you belong, because you're a good kid. I like that. A general blessing and the thing that I think we're all cognizant of and just not saying is that we don't bless them to our path. We bless them in general and that takes them to the path that they need to be on. Yes. That's an excellent and important point. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was something with, with the visual that you were giving about, you know, giving that kid that hug and it just, I don't know, in my brain, I just kind of went to and protect you, little one. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You're a cool person tonight. <laughs> You're a cool person. Well, and I work with animals more than kids. So it's kind of like, well, of course I'm going to do this on your behalf. So I guess I'm just kind of reaching across the aisle like, okay, what do you do for the little two-leggeds? This is what I do for a little four-legged. <laughs> so... <laughs> I work with a lot of animal health care in my job. So I think I've probably used my magical talents. I Pre-COVID, I used it a lot with counseling of customers and staff at my job. I think I was better at comforting and working with the critters, but I know I can comfort and work with people. Likewise, I think that ability extends to the land, the earth, the place around me. So I think I would I would include that in my magical talents toolbox is I think I have a knack for comfort and healing and I feel more confident in those abilities with with animals and land than I do with people. But that's okay. Each of us do what we can according to our talents and according to how the divine would have us behave. I mean, rights of service, big or small, are a sacred act. And I will often tell people in class that a blessing is the gift to the giver. So it's not just that it's nice to bless others and it makes you feel all good and warm and fuzzy. It's an act through which the sacred power of the divine moves through you, giving their blessing to you as you pass it to others. Does anybody have any final thoughts on our topic about rights of service and our progress along the path? Tanaya, have you ever thought about therapy dogs? I don't know why, but you were talking about that, and you loving animals and comforting, and I just thought that you and therapy animals could be a cool combo based on what you had said. And I apologize for bursting this out, but I, I really felt like that just jumped into my head, and I thought, I really have to tell her this. No, I actually have. I used to work in a position where I could connect dogs with organizations which was really, really cool, especially uh, having the places come in and assess, especially a dog that might not be best suited to a home because he's he's busy, he's got a job to do, he's he's too smart to just hang out in a yard. So I love that and I'll one-up you. What I would love to do is work more with like nursing homes or elderly centers and get more programming going for like a resident cat or maybe even a staff member that brings their therapy dog to work every day or something, just something to kind of extend that, that relationship, especially with those who might benefit the most. So 
There's my dream, Tig. Do you want to fund it? I'm, I, I work in social services. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a I great idea, though. How's that? <laughs> well, yes. you know, guys, if you put the energy out there and it really is your call to service, it'll manifest. Be careful what you ask for, for surely it will be given to you. You're right, and I probably shouldn't even put it out into the universe yet. This is just a little seedling of an idea that actually kind of planted itself in my brain just earlier this week. Like, hmm, I wonder if that's something I could get going next year in my community. So, yeah, I probably shouldn't have even put it out there, Catherine. So, <laughs> Don't seeds like to sit in the earth during the dark of the year to sprout in the spring or something poetic like that you know where your community is going to be so you just need to tell the seeds where to sprout exactly that's where i figure right now my seeds in my brain is just a compost pile waiting for for winter to get past we could talk about this for a very long time but next time we'll talk about the rites of mastery those specific rituals that speak directly to our dedication, to our service to the divine, and our progress along the path. You can follow Greater Than the Sum of Our Parts on Twitter at GTTSOUP. If you have any questions, comments, or would like to drop us a line, email us at circleencoremembers at gmail.com. Our contact information is also listed in the show notes. Talk to you next time, and may the Lord and Lady travel with you in peace and power. Mm -hmm.